Welcome, Temple family and friends. We're so glad to have you joining us for another episode of Temple Talk. This podcast aims to engage our faith community through thoughtful biblical discussions centered on God's Word. Our goal is to explore Scripture together to discover the wisdom it has for our lives. In this podcast, we'll be diving deep into God's truths and discussing how they impact our daily living. We're eager to unpack the riches of the Bible with you all, our extended church family. And now, here's Temple Talk. Welcome back, Temple family and friends. As always, I am Tuck, and happy to be here with you. And uh, we have Pastor Bennett with us again. Welcome. And I have a much, uh, I have a, I, I have less of a soothing, calm uh, voice, unless I decide to talk like this. But I'm excited about this message. I'm excited about this week. I've missed you guys. Last week, uh, I was at Duke, um, being uh, converted to a Duke fan. Uh, because we were at the medical clinic at the hospital there where my heart, my, my mom was having heart surgery. And so she had a mitral valve replacement and things were a little rough in the beginning, Tuck, but uh, things ended up getting, um, the doctors did incredible. The nursing staff did incredible. Uh, the hospital was incredible. And so my mom actually was discharged yesterday and is flying back to Oklahoma with my sister right now as Wonderful. we're recording this. So she is doing well. And uh, she has got a new little pig valve up there in her mitral uh, valve, and so uh, things are going good. But I missed being on it last week, um, but I know that uh, you and your wife shared some incredible things. And so I'm excited to be here today as we walk through this. Absolutely. Now, before we get into the lesson from this week, um, I did want to take uh, a pause and just a, a minute to talk through our corporate prayer and fasting as yes. we have started November. Yes. So can you kind of walk us through what does this mean for us as a church? What does this look like individually? Because um, I know that two weeks without food is is a long time. So how do we see this um, playing out in our lives, and, and what are we driving towards? Yeah, so big picture is if you don't know this, then you, you probably need to know that this year we've been giving out prayer guides monthly. Mm-hmm. So monthly prayer guides that are put together by the church uh, that our department heads or ministry heads um, have submitted in these prayer requests. So we've organized them in a way to where we've equipped our membership and non-membership, really anyone that wants to, they can access it at temple.church on the landing page, a uh, digital version, but they also, we hand them out on Sunday mornings here at the church, a printed version. And these booklets help guide you through um, an intentional corporate prayer emphasis in your life, but for the edification of the church Mm -hmm. and for the Lord to move in some specific ways corporately, but also in ways in your own life. And so last year, whenever we stepped into this season as a church, we actually did 15 days of prayer and fasting as a church in November. And so for the first 15 days in November, we were intentionally praying morning, noon, and night in the worship center here at Temple And um, we were going through corporate prayers. They were guided prayers that emphasized different ministries, different things that the Lord was putting on our heart. And in that season of transition, different emphases to provide unity uh, and healing in areas that desperately needed it. And so as we come through now this next year, what we're doing is we're doing it again. And so this, this season of prayer and fasting um, in November here, the prayer guide is much bigger than it's been in previous months. Uh, it's about 47 pages, um, but it guides us through teaching prayer. 
So the first couple pages teaches you how to pray. Uh, and then it guides us through teaching biblically what fasting is and the, the heart behind it so that each of us can be equipped to practically apply it in our lives. And, uh, and then it gives us 15 days of structured, intentional prayers um, for the first 15 days of November. Um, and so each day the components are a written out prayer for you privately as we pray through that specific topic of the day and a written out pray, prayer of our church corporately so that instead of saying, Lord, do this in me, uh, then we transition to saying, Lord, as you do this in us, let this be the impact in our community and in the life of our church, your bride. And so what's interesting about this is we're really working on not only developing this, this, this desire to intentionally pray these prayers uh, on an individual level, but also the impact of the people of God praying corporately for these things to come about in the life of this church here at Temple Church. And so um, another component of these daily written out prayers is something that our pastor search team has put together for the month of November. And the way that they divided it up was the very first uh, week of prayer that they're asking our church to do. A lot of it has to do with their, the homes, the marriages, and the individual lives of our membership. And then we'll transition to um, different phases of these corporate prayers, and that's also in the in the November prayer guide as well. And so each day we have that available uh, while also opening up our worship center morning, noon, and night, 6 a.m., 12, uh, that's noon, and then 6 p.m. Um, and so we've got people actually in there praying right now. Uh, we, I just left there, and we just have people in there praying right now and uh, praying on their knees and lifting it up at the altar. A couple of them were at the altar. And so it's just been a really exciting season for us of prayer and fasting. And so I don't want to go into too many details about fasting, um, but I strongly encourage you to jump online, temple.church, download that document, look at it, read it, uh, and pray whether or not fasting should be a habitual discipline that we participate in until Christ's return. Mm -hmm. And uh, and spoiler alert, it is. <laughs> and uh, of course, we want to do everything we can to make sure that we are responsible and uh, have conversations with our doctors to make sure we don't put ourselves uh, in compromise. We're not good stewards of our body, right? Um, but also uh, intentionally fasting from food so that we may feast in the Lord uh, through the study of his word, through um, prayer, through meditation, through silence and solitude, different things like that. Um, it's something that will be greatly beneficial to you. And I am even a testimony, not only in scripture we see it, but the movement of God through prayer and fasting is evident. And so um, what it does is, to give you a summary, it changes us and conforms us to him. It doesn't change him or force his hand. It changes us to see things as he does and desire his will in our lives. And so fasting really just allows us to depend more on him as we draw near to him, as we depend on his provision day in and day out. And so we see that as the example in food. Um, but a lot of people get really creative these days um, with fasting from different things. And uh, I think having that as a regular thing in your life is something I think greatly beneficial. Absolutely. Yeah, we, I remember going through last year a little bit of a study of, of fasting. And 
I think one of the quotes that we read was it's one of the things in the in the Bible, the commandments, um, that we just don't do anymore. It's yeah. probably one of the things that we skip over the most um, as modern Christians that if we could really bring it back is, is so beneficial to our lives. Yeah, there's a level of practical disciplines we see in the church, right, in the New Testament even, um, where these are disciplines that are really lost. They were they – were, the, the early church, even early church fathers, it was mandated that we, they, would, they would fast uh, a certain number of times. I think it was two times a week. And so th- this was a thing that was regular in the life of a believer. But today in our modern church, especially in Western America, in, in America, we, we, this, isn't a, this isn't a pattern of behavior that is, is, is taught really culturally. Mm-hmm. It's all about obesity. It's all about overindulgence. It's all about give me what I want for me. This is what this is my right, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. But it, it really shifts us away from that to depending on him and resting in his presence. And it slows us down. And it allows us to see him move and shape the way we see. And so fasting in and of itself is a beautiful, beautiful discipline. Uh, that we can truly benefit from. If, if you don't do it, you're missing out. So taking that and moving towards our, our emphasis uh, this week, um, Dr. Ewart taught yesterday about rejoicing always, and then he had the small caveat. Really? 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 Um, so talk us through uh, a little bit of, you know, what scripture did he use, uh, and then we'll kind of go through some of the details as, as we move forward. Yeah, let me read it for you. Let me read it. So we got Philippians 4, and we start in verse 6. And it's, uh, no, actually, we start in verse four. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I'm reading out of the NASB. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the result is the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so he reads that, and the verse four, the immediately says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I will say, rejoice. And if you didn't, if you haven't listened to the sermon, you need to go back and listen to it because he does a great job breaking down um, some of the ways that that we see writing in Greek and the emphasis that takes place when things are repeated. Um, but what I love in reality is that um, Paul is writing here to the church in Philippi that it is always rejoice in the Lord always. And so um, that's where he comes up with it. Really? Really? And in the, in the context of our world, in the context of our situation, in the context of my mom's surgery, in the context of what we've gone through with sickness or even as a church, how can we truly obey you know, this, this, this letter that's written to the church that we believe is applicable today, this, this, this command to rejoice always? And it almost seems impossible and oftentimes we just chalk it up to, I just can't. So what's the point in trying? And so um, I, I love this topic uh, because of what I know to be true and what we see throughout this passage about who's the one that brings it, who's the one that sustains it, and who's the one that gets the glory for the peace that the world is lacking. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a topic I love, and I love Dr. Ewart walking us through. So my question to you, Tuck, is 
how, how difficult is it? Let's just use the last 48 hours of your life. How difficult has it been? Have you, be honest, have you rejoiced always? So, confession I think, time. Don't I think, judge. No one gets to judge. <laughs> I think the big difference that, that he spoke about was the difference between joy and happiness. That's good. And, you know, he, he talked us through joy is something that really lives deep within us, that comes from the peace of God, yeah. that is different than happiness. Whereas, and he said, I would love for everyone to be happy all the time, but love it's it. just not achievable. It's not sustainable. Um, happiness is an emotion, and emotions change with the flights of the wind. Um, you can be angry, happy, and, and they don't always stick around. Yeah. Whereas a true joy that lives within us, especially the one that comes from Jesus, mm. is something that can sustain you through the hard times and the easy times and, and the the sicknesses and everything else that we're going through. So I would say in the last 48 hours, I've been joyful in the fact that when I sit and think, I've got this overarching yeah. peace that goes a lot more beyond what's happening in my life. Mm. Whereas the happiness comes and goes a lot more depending on what happens. It's hard to be happy when your children are sick. It's hard to be happy when you have an argument with your spouse. But underneath it all, there is a, a peace and a joy that comes from the fact that I know that my purpose is higher than all of the small things that happen, yeah. and, and we're going to get through it. No, that's good. So to humbly answer your question, your answer is yes, you do. You have. The last 48, man, you've rejoiced always. And I love rejoice. To feel or show great joy or delight, right? To rejoice. You're showing joy. That's why you're different. That's why he, that's why, Doctor, you are differentiated. The difference between, all right, what is joy and what is happiness? Mm -hmm. Because this happiness is temporal. It's surface level. It's dependent on variables. Where a joy that can only be from the essence of that emotion itself, the creator, the sovereign God, he's the only one that can give it, Right? Because it's not dependent on all the things we're going through on this temporal earth. It is only something that can come from that which is above all of the temporal stuff, the variables, the sickness, the death, the divorce, the pain, the suffering, the war, right? The conflict. And so good for you, man. I'm proud of you. So a, a small little testimony for me. So I was at the hospital, right? I was with my older brother, my little sister, and my uncle. Okay. And so my parents are going through a lot right now. My parents are going through a divorce. My mom is having to have the surgery. And so th there's a there's a high level of kind of stress um, but uh, and care that the kids are going to step up in certain ways in. And my little sister has just um, – she's been incredible throughout this process. Uh, but it was – and I hate to say this um, because we were there for my mom's surgery. That was really scary. But it was so much fun to be with my siblings uh, for, uh, I think it was like four days, four full days. I mean, my brother and I, we shared a bed, uh, and, and we're both grown men. Uh, it was queen size and I'm a big guy, but listen, it was so much fun. Um, but something I noticed when I came home and my wife noticed it too, uh, there was a, man, there was a piece in me that was uninfluenced by the things 
uh, of the world, of the church. Um, and I actually, and it was, it was kind of impacting me in different ways through my rest, uh, but also through how I carried myself. And Lauren, it got to the point where Lauren was actually like worried for me because I was much quieter and I was much more still. Which is strange for you. Which is strange for me, right? <laughs> Especially the quiet part. And so I'm sitting there and I'm sitting in church and I'm not fidgeting. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening. And Lauren like put her arm around me. She's like, honey, are you okay? And afterwards she was like, I was worried because it's like you were, you were so still. And I thought something was wrong. And I was like, no, I was just listening. And this, this thing that I'm experiencing right now uh, that isn't, isn't moved by the opinion of man, it is not moved by moments of insecurity or frustration or, or, or uh, um, even situations where, man, the, it, I'm, I'm experiencing the peace of God um, that really is because of Christ Jesus guarding my heart and my mind. And so he did something to me when I was away because I was so detached from the things of the world because of the urgency of what was at hand and being with my brother and sister and encouraging each other in our walk and, and getting to, to come home to my family, it was, uh, I have experienced this as well over the last few. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's something I've got to acknowledge the Lord is doing. And it brings me back to this Psalm 4610, to be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And Dr. Ewart took us through this pathway of practical application. And what it means is when we, when we truly trust in the sovereignty of God, when we actually see him rightly, when we recognize that Jesus Christ has ascended and all things are beneath his feet, that he sits at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf, as we know what he's done, the position of authority he's in, and the fact that he is coming again. When we know these, when we know John 14, when we know he's coming back, right? When we know this stuff, it changes the way we see everything. And I and just an opportunity for each of us to be disciplined in this, especially through our month of prayer and fasting, to just stop and to be still to stop striving and to take a second and breathe deep and know that he is God. That is, that is a primary step to experiencing rejoicing always. Um, and I will say rejoice. And I will say, I think what you were talking about, about how this comes and only comes from God, mm -hmm. this true joy and peace that we can find, I think, is so alluring to people of the world. Yes. When we really exude it, there is a difference from what we have and what they can see. It's, it's what we're, everyone's searching for, Right. And, and, and different things sell knockoff versions of this joy, right? The, 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 even the American dream itself sells this facade 
of, of providing, of meeting the needs so that you've arrived and you have total peace. You have joy. You can rejoice because nothing bad is happening. But all of this is fake. All of it is. And the only provision, the only person that can give you something that you don't have is someone in a much different state than where you are. And I promise you that the person of God, the the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, what we saw through the life of Christ, what we understand through the provision of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of God himself, what happens in the assurance of salvation, all of these things that are taking place, what it's building is this foundation that should radically shape our worldview, recognizing that the kingdom of God is here. The answer to the world's needs is only him. It's not a president. It's not a vote. It's not a system. It's not a form of government. It's not a financial status. It's not a job. It's not a promotion. It's not even an organization or knowing everything. It's not a degree. It's, it's, it's not even found in personal relationships unless the personal relationship is the one who sits above it all. It's only found in Christ. And so being still and knowing that he is God, man, that is something that keeps bringing me back to recognizing the very thing the world starves for, fights for, sacrifices for, deeply desires, can only be experienced eternally and presently to the depth that is available in Christ. It's in God. And so um, reminding each of us that we've got the thing that everyone else is wanting, I think is a key motivator to burdening us to push towards evangelism and making Jesus known, intentionally making Jesus known, um, and, and having this really, uh, this, this urgency of it, um, which we find in the next verse. And it says, in verse 5, he says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. And the danger is, that when we try and find this peace, when we go searching in mm-hmm. other places, we damage whatever it is we're looking for. Whether we're, da- we're damaging to ourselves because we're going for the promotion or we're trying to earn more money um, and we're damaging ourselves and our relationships in the process, or it's damaging to the, like you mentioned, the relationships. When I try and put my spouse or my children in the place of giving me that happiness, Mm. they are ultimately, no matter what, going to let me down because I can only find that true happiness. I can only find that true joy, that peace in God. And when I try and put that upon someone else, those relationships become strained because they will inevitably let me down from what I'm looking for if I'm putting them in the wrong place. Yeah, that's so good. So when we're trying to depend on the things that are most readily available, whether that be another person or social media or drugs, alcohol, food, when we try to depend on the things that are within an arm's reach to fulfill this deep void that God can only fill, that's where brokenness 
Uh, it's it's habitual. Mm-hmm. It, it just continues, and we will be unfulfilled and running on this little wheel over and over in pursuit of this thing, consuming all the junk that this world has to offer. And it scraps. It scraps. And there's enough of it to keep us busy. And it, like you said, it has the shadow. It has just the briefest that maybe I can find something. Maybe I find a little bit of happiness, yeah. but then the happiness fades. That's right. It's temporal. It's temporal. And so whenever we can get to a place to where we actually see God as God, sovereign, we can then therefore rejoice always. And all of a sudden, our disposition towards all things shifts, right? And so when it says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men, uh, in an ESV, it says, let your reasonableness Reasonableness, I love that. Be known to everyone. <laughs> it, all of a sudden, our disposition is that which is gentle and reasonable, and and we are we are then no longer striving or struggling, but it is evident. And then a, a part I'd love to park for a little bit on is the Lord is near. So what our disposition is communicating is the Lord is near. And so, Tuck, where I want to sit on that is where, one, we have a recognition that uh, the Lord is near, like in proximity. He is, he is omnipresent, okay? And through salvation, we receive this down payment, this deposit of the Holy Spirit, where he now indwells in us as our comforter. And, and he, he breathes life into Scripture, and he empowers us, and he, and he, and he convicts us, and, he, and he's a lamp unto our feet. And we see his glory manifested through us to bring glory to Jesus. And so the, the, the Lord is near, right? And so he's, he's, he's here right now, okay? So that's something that the, almost this revelation of his proximity, it, it reshapes how we see everything. And it should reshape how we make all choices, right? And we're about to talk about some choices uh, coming up uh, about decisions in the car while driving um, or decisions on our own uh, or decisions with certain people or our standards um, or what we tweet and what we post and what we like and what we even expose ourselves to. All of these things, the Lord is near. And then on the other side of that coin, the Lord is near. We know he's coming back. He has told us that he will be returning. And no one knows the time in which he'll come. But he will. And there will come a point when, when the person that you know that does not yet know Christ will be before him in judgment. And it, and it, and, and it may happen in our lifetime and it, and it may not. But all we know is the Lord is near. And we are not promised tomorrow. And that's one of the things that Dr. Ewart drove in his message is this, this, this realization that, that our focus needs to be on this, this, this urgency to share Christ. And if we recognize, one, the Lord's proximity and the Lord's second coming is at hand, the kingdom of God is here both now and it will be coming in fullness very soon, then guess what a majority of our arguments, our complaining, our, our selfishness, 
It is so insignificant. Puts things into perspective. And then the other part is, guess what the opinion of man means? Nothing. Nothing in comparison to one, the proximity of God, my creator, and also the urgency of, oh, the Lord is near. And so the, pro- the top of the priority list must be the gospel. And my question is, is are we living a life that displays through our reasonableness that we actually believe the Lord is near? I, I think every single one of us need to be asking ourselves that question. Every single one of us need to be asking ourselves that question. And it's, as you've mentioned before, being honest with yourself to, to be able to remind ourselves of this on a daily basis. Because when, when yeah. the, everything happens in our lives and, and the fires come up and we're constantly fighting fires instead of viewing things the way that they need to be viewed, it's easy to, to forget the proximity of God, both in the fact that he's coming back and the fact that he dwells within us. Because if we sit there and, you know, the, the old wristbands from a couple decades ago, what would Jesus do? If we could imagine him with us, our actions would change. Yeah, it's, it's that, that, that mentality, honestly, I love it. I love it. Because the question that we must be asking is, how would Jesus live and respond if he was living your life right now? In this very moment, in that very conversation with that person standing on the side of the street or that person that cut you off with the promotion that you didn't get, right? Or the things that people say that you disagree with online. What would Jesus do if he was in your spot right now making your choice? Because as little Christians, as disciples, as apprentices of Jesus Christ, if we go back with the Jewish tradition of what it looks like to mimic, to mimic our teacher, to mimic our rabbi, that is what we should be doing habitually, every single moment, every single day. We should be asking ourselves these same questions, which brings us back to these virtues that we see displayed in the life of Christ. We see them displayed in the early church. We see them displayed in the New Testament. This idea behind each of these taking a top priority in our lives. And it gives us kind of this rubric to really say, oh, Lord, search me. Holy Spirit, bring up these spaces where I am selfish. Bring up these spaces where where I am not surrendered to you, where I'm thinking of self and temporal, not eternal. Or asking myself, what would you do in this situation? One of my favorite examples that someone used way back um, is they said that we need to be mirrors. And a good mirror means that you don't really see it. You only see what's reflected. And if we could angle ourselves correctly, when someone looks at us, instead of seeing us, what they should be seeing is a reflection of God. And the issue comes in is when we are not a good mirror, when we get dirty, when we get tarnished. Instead, what they are seeing is either just us Mm. or they are seeing a reflection of God that is dirty, that is distorted. Right. And so if we can truly be 
image bearers of Jesus. Mm. Um, when someone looks at us, hopefully they are just seeing a reflection of God. One of my prayers over this and over really the next couple of weeks as we sit in the study that we're going through is uh, it kind of parallels uh, Elijah on the wall with a servant in 2 Kings 6. And he's sitting up there and he's watching and, and the enemy is surrounding them and they're coming after him as a prophet of the Lord. And his servant comes up and he stands with him at the wall and Elijah's chill. He's chill. He's cool. The, the peace of God that transcends all understanding. And the servant is really freaking out, right? And he's saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Elijah just simply prays, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And all of a sudden, the Lord opens the eyes of the servant and he sees the chariots of fire and he sees what is unseen, the angels that surrounded the, the, the dwelling place of Elijah that was in between really them and their enemy. And it was the, the army of God. And this idea of, of God, just open our eyes. Open our eyes to give us a clear understanding of not only your provision, but also your sovereignty. So we may truly rejoice in all things and give us an eternal perspective that allows us to have a gentle spirit or a reasonableness about ourselves so that we may truly live and display, but also have an urgency to communicate the Lord is near. And Jesus teaches about this in the Great Commission. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. We are ones that make peace, not on a temporal level where we're shaking hands and we're hunky-dory, but on a supernatural level where we are restoring, we are reconciling that which is hopeless which the hope, with the hope provider, that, that, that which is, is broken with the restorer, that which is dead uh, to the resurrector, right? Like we, that's what we are doing. We are we are constantly just saying, "Lord, use me in this way," because the Lord is near. <laughs> the 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 kingdom of God. This is at hand. He's coming again, and we're not promised tomorrow. So this urgency and this burden is key. Um, and that's just something that I, I just we've been praying, and I believe uh, is coming in this church uh, as we continue to pray through these things, as we pray continually um, and live out these virtues. But like the servant, I know that so many of us can see ourselves in the servant more than we do oh, in Elijah. All day. Um, because we, we have this anxiety. Um, and my wife, who spoke about her struggles with anxiety last re- week, wrote uh, that anxiety bullies you and convinces you that you are not enough, that you're a failure, that everyone hates you, that you're alone, that no one gets you, and that you're worthless. And it's that defining shame that you secretly believe is true, and it isolates you, and it makes you feel helpless. And we we know in our heads that God is all around. We know that there are chariots waiting to protect us from whatever it is in the world. But that anxiety squelches that enough to where it, it makes us anxious. And I know that that is the antithesis of peace and joy. Right. So how do we how do we get through that when that is more of a defining feature or at least you know comes up to grasp so often? Yeah, so so one thing I would encourage you with is uh, just take for a second and this is where I get nerdy, okay? Ready? So this is written 
uh, to the church in Philippi. Uh, it's canonized, right? It's in our scripture. Um, and so we believe that this passage, this book, is didactic in nature, which means it's meant for teaching and it's meant for all people at all times forever incorporate 2 Timothy 3.16 throughout the study of the Word of God, right? And, and, and so this isn't a uh, this isn't historical. This is something written that we can apply today. So if every single believer needs to understand this, then every single believer that's struggling with it is not alone. It is contradictory to the schemes of the devil that works towards uh, alienating ourselves and putting us on an island, trying to internalize and feel that shame of saying, oh, I, me, I, exactly what Chelsea walked through, this idea behind, man, I'm not good enough, and I'm the only one like this, or I'm a failure, or this is shame that's being heaped on top of me, um, that, man, be anxious for nothing is something that every single one of us need to hear. Why? Because every single one of us struggle with anxiety. <laughs> At different degrees, in different seasons, it is something that is universal to mankind. Because we were created with this dependency and a union with our creator that only provides this peace when all things are in perfection and that will inevitably come, so have hope. So the question comes down to, in this season of sojourning, in this temporal season of being at a place where is not yet our true home, which is in his presence, how do we deal with it? How do we deal with the brokenness? How did Paul deal with writing this while in chains? How do we deal with death? How do we deal with the stuff, the variables in our life, the fallen nature of the world, yet also our sometimes willingness to believe lies and struggle with things and internalize because life is incredibly difficult. And so one of the things that I would strongly encourage I just strongly encourage for people that maybe even find themselves at that moment right now, listen to this. This one, you're not alone. You're not alone. Number two is shine light where darkness is. Bring to light the things with people that care about your soul and care about you. Believing in the word of God and have a biblical worldview. Share these things. Because as you share your doubts, your anger, your disappointment, your unmet expectations, maybe with others and even with the Lord, as you unpack this with other people, hopefully what this drives you to is a comfort level to unpack that with the Lord. Because his shoulders are broad. We've talked about this. He can take it. And doing that which David displayed in the Psalms of expressing to God this need. What, what's happening in this very moment? The thing that may have been meant to break you and separate you, now suddenly in your weakness is a display of his sovereignty and strength. 
because it will be a testimony for all those who are going to go through what you've gone through. And our scars tell stories of a healing creator. They're not to be, uh, they're not to be hidden or, or we should not be ashamed of our scars, but they should be something that we should proudly display, display because of the testimony and the glory that it brings to God. So there's hope for what you're going for, not only eternally because the Lord is near, but there's also hope for what you're going for because the Lord is near in proximity. And so as you unpack this with, with other believers, as you unpack this in, in paralleling the Psalms, and as you pray through this and, and seek the word for the will of God, the character of God, and reminding yourself of the promises of God, then what is going to happen is you're going to experience hope that only he can provide. In Hebrews 6, 19 through 20, it says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. This is written to Jews that really understood the Holy of Holies, where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Jesus Christ entered to intercede, to experience the wrath of God, and he has become a high priest forever. Read Hebrews chapter 6. Understand the context of the hope that we have, but it is an anchor for our soul. And while we go through storms, let us consistently be reminded that we're not alone, right? He has overcome the world. He is near, and he is coming again. These four things I would really encourage, because hopefully when you're surrounded by people that love the Lord and love you, you'll be reminded that there's grace and there's forgiveness, and feeling these feelings that you're feeling, that's not sin. It's not. It's human. And believe it or not, the full spectrum of our emotions, God himself, he, he knows. For he made you. You were perfectly knit. The question is, is there anything you need to surrender? I think it comes to a really a, a focus. And as we draw back to him, I would go straight back to verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. How is that even possible? The sovereignty of God. Who is he? Do you rightly see him? Do you know what he said about what is going to happen and our purpose and your purpose, even in the midst of the junk that you're going through? One, so, of, one of the things that I thought of that really brought up in my heart was as a father and as a parent, when we're looking at our children struggling with things, yeah. it's so easy to want to just do it for them. Oh, yeah. But we don't teach them anything. They don't gain any resilience. They don't gain any skills by us taking over and doing it for them. And I look, <laughs> I, I see God, my father, looking down at me sometimes <laughs> saying, I can't do this for you. You've got to figure this out. You've got to trust in me that I am here, that I have taught you enough to be able to do this yourself. And we're constantly saying to our children, you can do hard things. Mm. And when they are in the midst of it, they don't want to do hard things. Right. They will bring it to me and say, fix this, do this for me. And I look at them and say, yeah, it's a small thing. It's a, it's you a, can do this. It's a pattern, right, of people in Scripture that we say, deliver me. Mm -hmm. Just deliver me from this time. Uh, even Elijah, when he was suicidal. 
right after the 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 um, we overthrew the prophets of Baal, and he had that big showdown at the altar, and then and then he ran because Jezebel was coming after him, uh, and he was like, I'm I'm done. I'm at the end of myself. And the Lord nurtured him and cared for him, and then commissioned him and sent him right. And, and we we all come to this point of saying, God, just do it for me. Um, but uh, just an encouragement to what you're saying about our children um, and even us as his children. Uh, there is a hope, though, that I would say he has already done and he's, and he's spoken. I believe he's continually revealing himself to us, but he has overcome the world. Past tense. Yeah. It, it, it's... It is, it is done, yet not yet in fullness experienced. And the peace that you and I need to rest in is this fact that, that he has overcome this. And he has provided a way. And it's fixing our eyes on him, sober-minded, fixed completely, nothing else. Not divided, but fixed on his, his, his glory that I think we truly experience the peace of God, verse 7. So as we pray, as we wrestle, as we journal, as we confide, as we do verse 6, right, we will, ex- we will experience this, this regression of, of being anxious for nothing as a byproduct of prayer and supplication with this disposition of thanksgiving because of full awareness of his sovereignty that generates an ability to rejoice in all things, that ultimately leads in a peace that is only available by him, through him, for his glory, where he, Jesus Christ, stands guard of our hearts and our minds. And I just, I just, if I can get this through my thick skull in the moments where I doubt and where I say, Lord, help me with my unbelief, as Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith, as I say, God, grow my faith in this area, Oh, I've, I've, I've allowed myself far too long to believe these things. And so I repent. And so thank you, Lord, for even giving me an opportunity to repent. Thank you for revealing these things to me that I need to repent of. And I need you. I depend on you. And I want to see things like you do. Open my eyes, God. And for that, I rejoice. One of the biggest things that Dr. Ewart said that really struck me that I'd, I'd felt in my own life but really hadn't put into to words the way that he did was he said, maybe our neighbor needs to watch how we go through a trial. Yeah, and I've felt that. you know, I've gone through things that a few years later I saw someone else going through and I was able to help. But it really – puts on us, are we willing to suffer hmm. so that someone else can come to know Christ? Because that's what it is. You know, at the, at the time, we're suffering when we're going through this. And it, it may not be about us. It may be about someone going through something else, someone watching us. And it's, it's hard because I feel, you know, I have these rights to this kind of a life. I have the, the idea that I shouldn't have to suffer if I'm if I'm a follower of Christ, and it's complete opposite of what we're told, but right. it's so hard because that's what I feel. Yeah, no, 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 I get that. So what what it comes down to is 
when we when we rightly see God, when we rightly know him. So when we rightly see him, we'll begin to understand his sovereignty. And when we rightly know him, we'll begin to understand his goodness, his faithfulness, mm-hmm. his provision, right? And so we'll also, through those two things, we'll begin to see ourselves and others through the way he sees us as his children, okay? So if if these two things are taking place in our lives as disciples of his, then, then what's going to happen is self means, means much less as time goes on. And if, and if we look at the teachings of Christ, even if you just take the Great Commission itself and then take Paul's writings of, of how the Great Commission impacts our lives day to day, if we look at these 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 two teachings, as we look at Jesus's, we see a, a self that that surrenders his rights on a daily basis, and that was countercultural not only to the people in which they taught, but it's also countercultural to the world we live today. And so it's 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 against the way that we're wired, and it's against our culture to be selfless and sacrificial for even our enemies. And so it is something that we have to recognize that if I if I'm if I'm standing and I'm fighting for what I think I deserve as my right to something, then what I'm failing to champion really is this is this theory of the Lord is near. Because I'm secure in my salvation. I know where I'm going. But am, but am I stewarding these moments to fight for his glory or my security? For, for the expansion of his kingdom and, and really for his name to be known or for me and mine? And that's convicting. Mm-hmm. Because I can tell you almost every single argument or expressed frustration or even things that I personally am dealing with, it all comes back to this selfish perspective that every single one of us are very susceptible to believing and prioritizing. This fight-or-flight mentality of me and mine or an overvalued self-opinion that's not rooted and anchored in the word of God. And so our worldview must change. Our worldview must change because it will drastically shift how we operate day to day. For the Lord is near. That's where I keep coming back to. Well, Ben, I appreciate you walking through this uh, this idea of rejoicing and what that really means, how to apply that to our lives and how we see ourselves in Christ and, and with him being near. Um, what would you leave our third chair with for this week? Man, my, my big thing I would keep driving back to is I would take some time and read through this prayer guide. I would jump online. I would download it. I don't care if you're starting today uh, or you need to start on day one. Um, I think this is, this is something uh, that is a tool that God can use uh, if you slow down enough to give him some time um, to depend on him and to draw near to him. 
and recognize that that through prayer and fasting, uh, he will shape us to see things and um, the way he does. And there's a level of dependence on him that I think is greatly beneficial to us, especially in our culture today, uh, for us to slow down, to get some silence and solitude, to meditate on his word, and to fix our mind on him. So go to temple.church, uh, download that PDF that's on our landing page, and begin reading through it, applying it, and really challenging yourself on whether you're capable of praying the prayers that are written. Let us not pray empty words as the Pharisees did, but let us truly pray words that we deeply believe. And if you don't, then what do you need to repent of? What do you need to surrender what do you need to reconcile? What do you need to accept to be capable of praying these prayers? That's where I drive. Whenever it says to take very seriously communion and to get right with your neighbor and leave your, your gift at the altar, all these things, it's not meant to hinder us from participating in these activities. It's meant to compel us to make things right horizontally as we are aligning ourselves vertically and being peacemakers. And so I would, I would let these prayers be the same thing. Let them not hinder you. Let them compel you to a deeper level of discipleship and use this as a tool to allow the Holy Spirit to really cultivate his character in you as we pray continually, as we do these things, as the seven virtues in it, as we unify ourselves through this PST process and, uh, and hopefully uh, see the Lord move in a mighty way through his church here at Temple. Wonderful. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We hope that you have found this beneficial uh, as much as we have. We'll see you next week on Temple Talk. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Temple Talk. We hope that digging into God's Word together has enriched your perspective and brought encouragement. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, feel free to email them at templetalk at temple.church. You can also visit our website at temple.church for more resources. We pray God will continue to bless you and your loved ones as you seek him in scripture. We'll see you next time on Temple Talk.